Welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. Podcast, 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 podcast. Download, download, download. And then once we get some sponsors, I can put subliminal messages in there yeah. too. Anyways, how are you doing, good sir? I'm doing great. Oh, I just noticed you're wearing a Rev Gear shirt. I am. Nice, good quality fight gear. You know, this stuff is good. Oh, I'm not joking. Like, I know. uh, all I have uh, from them is I have a pair of 16 ounce sparring gloves that actually Vince gave me, uh, as in uh, Sugarfoot student Vince from Hell Pichel, UFC fighter. He had an extra pair of like 16 ounces. And normally, if someone like gives you a pair of gloves or something, like I've given mine to beginning guys at the gym, whatever, they're usually pretty beat up and stinky, you know? And it's sort of like sometimes it's like young kids that maybe, you know, don't even have the cash to throw down for real gear. And especially if you're sparring with them and they show up with these tiny little, you know, piece of junk shin guards or something. It's like, look, dog, I got some old ones. I'm going to let you use them until you get your own. Either way, Vince just graciously gave me an extra pair he had once and they were like brand new and uh, super solid. That's great. Yeah. yeah although, inter- interestingly, I wonder if he was like, just use it until you're uh, <laughs> do you <guess> No, <laughs> I actually do have a couple of legit pairs of my own. I've had a pair of uh, Fairtex ones, which have lasted for years. I mean, Fairtex that all my Fairtex stuff I bought in Asia, which whether it was two different places I'd buy it, Thailand or Hong Kong, phenomenal. It lasts for years. I have two pairs of gloves now that I've had for at least six or seven years and used on the regular, and they're still in like very usable condition. Uh, But I one time bought from the American distributor when I first moved back here, uh, the exact same like pair of gloves and shin guards and so forth, and they fell apart in like six months. And then I tried to email them back, never got back to me. So I'll never do that again. Uh, But pretty much for me, it's like I use, uh, I found Venom. I really like my Venom shin guards. And obviously whenever Union Designs has their gear out, that's super solid too. And it's great. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. And unfortunately someone stole my last pair of brand new 16 ounce, Union Design sparring gloves. So I'm still very bitter about that because I know who stole them. Uh, but, you know, I digress. Uh, how are you doing today, good sir? I'm doing well. Uh, as you know, there are some adjustments happening where I, where I work. Uh, and so there's some sadness that goes with that, but uh, also some, uh, uh, it's been engaging to say, so I'm, I'm being engaged right now. And then uh, my mind's being engaged in different ways. So, uh, oh, uh, you're, so you're engaged in different ways. Yeah. So I'm always engaged, but mm. yeah. I asked sure. you, do, you, do you plan to get married? Oh no, not that kind of thing. That was, that was my pun. That was my uh, whole pun. Uh, that's which, what I thought it was. And the punchline was in Chinese. So it really did, uh, a that's lot gonna of land. good there. It's yes. Gonna it's going to land, land fantastic for our, uh, American Chinese listeners and our listeners in uh, China, Taiwan. We have we have one. Oh, right. Where? Oh, you- in Taiwan. That's right. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so, look, looking at the stats on SoundCloud, we did finally have a listener in Taiwan. So I'm excited. So whoever is listening to us in Taiwan, Xie thank you. Uh, but anywho, uh, yeah. So you're you're definitely going through transitional stuff right now. Work. I have. It's so funny. So I am applying like a madman for jobs here, there, everywhere. Uh, I kind of decide, you know what? 
I'm not going to settle, especially after our great conversation with Sean Kanan, which mm-hmm. uh, by this, when this comes out, that one, that episode will have already dropped and hopefully you've all listened to it. It was very inspirational. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to settle anymore. Why not me? Like Richard Norman say, why not me? I'm going to pursue what I want to do. Or at least if it's only something like halfway there, it better be a lifestyle where I get to do all my other favorite things outside of work, right? So it's so crazy though, no joke. I spend at least four to five hours a day working on my resume, my cover letters, because you have to, you know, there's so many different variations, you know, the research for jobs and applying. And as you know, I bombard you all day, like sending you copies of my stuff. Like, what do you think of this? So uh, it's it's a great release today, especially because I think today I've already worked about eight hours on it because I woke up at 5 a.m. Uh, so I'm very excited to get to chat with you, do something fun. <laughs> well, let's let's do it. No, I mean, uh, I was just going to like piggyback on what you had said, like the, the Sean Cannon episode. I mean, every phone call I have now, I'm telling people, oh, you got to listen to this episode. It's coming out <laughs> in a couple of days. Obviously, this is already this episode that, if people are listening to this now, it's already hit and they've already listened to it. If not, after you finish this or even just pause right now, go back and listen to it because, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm motivated and pumped and I'm, I am checking my mailbox every day to see, Oh, did the book get sent, you know, way of the Cobra. But of course, you know, I would know because we get a notification that it was on its way, but I still check. Well, it's, it's an important episode for two reasons. First of all, we haven't had a guest since pretty much COVID hit. The last person I went to interview with uh, was Leo Fong, I think, which was probably right around this time uh, last year, uh, a little before, because I think I was taking mm-hmm. a trip up north. And uh, oop, on top of that, like I knew it was going to be a great episode, but he just blew my mind with, you know, how motivational he was, his thought process on, you know, living your best life pretty much. Yeah. And I really hope our listeners enjoyed it as well. And I'm sure they have or will, as you said. Hey, if you haven't listened yet, pause this episode, go back and listen to that one. Plus, the good news is it's our like shortest episode ever. We kept it nice and sweet and short uh, compared to our usual ones where we just ramble on. This episode on, may already on. be the same length yeah. as that one. <laughs> <laughs> and we haven't even gotten to talking what we're going to talk about today. But uh, one final note, funny enough, on Facebook, it popped up today, the anniversary of the last movie I went and saw in theaters with you, which was Passenger 57. Oh, yeah. Pre-COVID. We went to a Monday afternoon matinee screening at the New Beverly Cinema. Uh, and who would have thought at that point? I mean... Okay, so at that point, we're looking at what, like March 4th, or, you know, uh, like a year ago. And we knew it was a lot more serious than we had thought, obviously, like two months before that and even a month before that. But nobody knew that within two weeks, like our whole world was just going to massively change. And it sucks because before the lockdown even happened that last Saturday, we were scheduled to go to a double screening at the New Beverly of two awesome Hong Kong movies that unfortunately we made the decision at the last second, or did you go? Oh, uh, wait, force five. I went to the force. No, no, five not one, force five. Yeah. I didn't go to the one that was right. in between force five and Pastor 57. I think we yeah. were both like burnt out or tired that week. No, no, no. This, was, this, this is different. This was the last Saturday before uh, the lockdown. Oh, after, happened. after. Yeah. It was after force five. I don't know why we didn't go. It was probably because things were starting. To no, that's what, that's what, yeah, exactly. It was because it was school on fire. 
And That's what you were saying. I didn't, yeah. I didn't even know yet. <laughs> it was, it was school on fire. And I can't remember the other one. And cause one of them, you were a huge fan of, and you were like, and I, either way we'll have to go back and look, but yes. Oh, uh, oh man. It's with, uh, I feel like Anthony Wong is in it. Uh, they're in an ambulance. No, not an ambulance, but they're like patrol big, big something. Yes. I couldn't tell you cause I didn't get to go and I had never seen either film and I was so excited, but Hey, look, uh, hopefully theaters will start to open back up soon. Hopefully New Beverly. And even though, you know, I'm up in Northern California now when they do like their first big Kung Fu screening or something, if it's on a weekend, I'll come down for that. Heck yes. Uh, so any other relevant uh, martial arts movie news on your end? Uh, well, you did send me a trailer for a movie. Uh-huh. Whose and, movie is that? Oh, it's, uh, it's Michael Hui's movie. Oh, Michael Hui. So it's funny. I'm, I'm not the biggest fan, but I know that you are. And uh, for those that don't know, he's obviously a prolific uh, comedic filmmaker and actor from Hong Kong. Is that correct? Is that how you'd sum him up? Uh, uh, that That's, I mean, yes. He he was like the driving force between, be, between, uh, behind mm-hmm. Hong Kong cinema com- comedy, uh, dating back to, I almost want to say the early 70s, some of his early movies, but I'm definitely going to, I'm more comfortable saying mid to late 70s. Uh, in the 80s, his output was just absolutely prolific. Uh, he was a big hit in Japan because I think his movies were all dubbed the Mr. Boo movies, if I remember correctly, because like, he may have paid a boo, B-O-O, and oh. uh, Mr. Boo in one of the movies. So it was always like all these Mr. Boo movies, but pri- uh, private uh, investigators, uh, Security Unlimited, uh, there's, uh, I-, I have, a, there are more than a few, this front page. Of course, there's uh, uh, Chicken Talk and Duck Soup, according yeah. to the back of the cover. He's won the <laughs> AFI Award for Best Acting. And we should say the film that he's appearing in is called All You Need Is Love. Uh, It's directed by uh, Vincent Koch, who has also directed Jackie Chan in Gorgeous for me, which I love that movie. And it's an ensemble piece because it's got Jackie, it's got Louis Koo, Francis Ng, uh, Tony Lung Kafa, Eric Tang, Gordon Lamb, obviously Michael Hui, we just mentioned, uh, Yuan Chiu, Ken Lo, Ching Kalak. So just so many people. And the interesting part is it's obviously it deals with the pandemic. Like that's part of the plot line. And it's like, they're all uh, forced to pretty much quarantine in a building. And it's like this big action comedy. And to be honest, it looks kind of uh, good. looks interesting. It does, so. it does look good. It, it looks like a nice, I, I don't want to say, I don't know how to spray this properly because I, I, you know, we're, we're both fully inspired by Jackie Chan's uh, early work, mid career and, and later mid career work. But this looks like a recovery uh, film, like one of his great, uh, a film that you can put into uh, his uh, good filmography. It'll, uh, and was, it'll, yeah, it'll be interesting, that balance with the wacky comedy slash action slash how far do they go. But you know what the good thing about that is? If they do kind of go into that more, uh, I always love to call like Stephen Chowish, like slapstick comedy. That's kind of a sign of going back to Hong Kong roots, wouldn't you say? As opposed yeah, to just specifically mainland China, which also does the slapstick over the top comedy. But I'd say there's definitely a distinct difference uh, between the two. So uh, and and just like one more word on on Michael Hui, which speaks to what you were just saying, like Michael Hui at one point was doing, I think, one movie a year and he would only do. And this is like based on articles I'd read that have been translated from 
probably Chinese to Japanese to English. So I'm sure something was lost in translation, mm -hmm. but he would only do a movie if it had a great script. And then he started slowing up doing movies every few years and, and uh, 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 operation uh, Rob, Rob, Rob B hood or Robin B hood or operation BB baby. The one he's in that, uh, but there are a few other movies along the way in the nineties and the two thousands that in the two thousands, most of that he's done. So speaking to what you were just saying, if he's in the movie, it's kind of like a golden seal to wink to the nod to the audience saying, hey, this script is good. And it's kind of, it is definitely going to be a throwback to that style. I'm hoping that uh, like when you sent me the, the trailer, I was looking I'm like, oh, OK, this could be good. This could be campy. And then when his face appeared, I'm like, Michael Hui. Yeah. So, and the thing is, if you are doing this traditional genre, which uh, in Cantonese, and my Cantonese is not very good, so I apologize, is mole uh, tao, mole tao, or in Mandarin is maoli tao. Uh, this, this style is you better have somebody that's like known for doing it or, you know, is otherwise it could just fall very flat. Yeah. It, <laughs> the risk factor of failure is yeah. great with these movies. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. <laughs> uh, but yeah, other than that, I'm trying to think it's like, I should, you know, I usually take notes and do research, but today our topic's kind of free flow. So I didn't, but I'm like, man, I need to start writing down this news when it pops up. Cause I'll read. Or I'll see a video, I'll be like, oh, that's really cool. I should talk about that on the podcast. And then uh, I, of yeah. course, forget to mention it. But I should well, say, uh, I am finally caught up on the two newest Godzilla movies. So I'm, I'm really excited for King Kong vs. Godzilla that's coming out at the end of the month. That should be awesome. Uh, and, and, you know, one thing, speaking to what you were just saying, we we have texted and our, all of our huge fan base should know that uh, our plan is to at one point have a podcast that discusses all the thoughts we've missed along the way. Yes. Which includes Raging on a two Cynthia Rothrock versus Dazo. Ah, right. I mean, we I think were, so. we were just, we were just, you know what's funny. You, when you say that now, cause we didn't talk about this specific uh, thing uh, as in bringing it up later. Did we No, that's what I mean. Like bringing yeah. it up later. Yeah. Right. Because I was just thinking the other day, I'm like, you know, what? we didn't even talk about that during the episode. And because it, it's an interesting fight with, I would say, a lack of creative choreography, but an execution of great movements. Yes. OK, so we'll talk about that at a later point in time, because otherwise we can digress for like 30 minutes uh, or longer knowing yeah. us. But Liv, you want to get started on what we're going to talk about today? Yeah. So we, uh, what are we talking about? We're talking about. Well, it's, it's interesting. This is a subject matter that has popped up for years, pre-internet, like, you know, because I've been involved in the martial arts now for over 25 years because I started quite young. Uh, and it's this idea of, and it, it's going to be a few different things, but how to pick the best martial arts style for you or how to pick the best martial arts school for you. Or And with that comes how to pick the best martial arts instructor for you. But the main talking point is kind of how to pick the best martial arts style for you. This is a question I've seen asked for years, whether it was back in the day in magazines when I used to, uh, I had a subscription to Inside Kung Fu. I'd obviously buy Black Belt magazine all the time, like anytime I went to Borders or uh, Barnes & Noble. And then I, you know, any other magazine I could pick up, I could pick up, but then it's like, okay. And then early internet articles. And this is still something that you see pop up again and again. And I just felt like it was something worthwhile talking about. 
It is. It's, it's a tricky subject because I mean, you know, I think you've experimented or uh, I don't want to say experiment, but you've, you've traveled the path of, of exploring martial arts uh, and different genres and, and I don't even genre because we talk to many about movies all the time, <laughs> but I, I'm someone who, who hopped around from school to school, never for the longest time, having a hard time finding the right martial arts for me. Well, here's an interesting uh, question. What was the first martial art that you ever took? Uh, and how old were you? Where was it? Because uh, I have an idea, but I'm not sure, 100%. Uh, so I was going to make a joke that it was in Ojai at, for Aikido. But the truth is it was Aikido. It was in Japan. It was in Hiroshima, Japan. And I had, I think that was part of the issue. I think it was spoiled because I had such a good teacher so real quick, let's just say how you're one-upping like everyone right now because it's oh. like, oh, well, when I was a kid, oh, oh, that's funny. You did karate? Well, I took Aikido. Oh, you took Aikido also? I took Aikido in Japan, man. What's, oh, oh, you did, you studied with uh, so-and-so sensei? I studied with Ushiba sensei, the founder. <laughs> but anyways, go, go ahead. Yeah. No, so that, that my first teacher was actually my sister's first teacher because I uh, – she what when she was in uh high school junior high school in japan you have to select one thing to do so she decided to select she her first martial arts was actually kendo okay and then after kendo when we moved to hiroshima the first time uh she started taking aikido with this one teacher who had like this huge dojo and i think i even went to like a like a martial arts tournament at some time that i observed and this teacher was there and years later when i was uh in seventh grade junior high school in japan entering first year junior high school in japan uh, there was a community center and I wanted to take Aikido and went down and this same teacher was there three, three student class, uh, really small. So I got a lot of like one-on-one -on -one training, but mm. the guy was absolutely legitimate. I recognized him because he had, uh, he actually was missing fingers. So he, he's a, he, an Aikido teacher with, with black missing fingers. And I that remember was, that like, was also really bad in the Yakuza and was constantly being yeah. punished to say, I have no I, idea. I am good Aikido instructor, but terrible Yakuza. So he would hold you and he could like hold you with just his like two, like his, just like his, his uh, index finger and his thumb and you couldn't break it. And he was one of those teachers uh, who essentially uh, was so old school that you had to break the hold. So you would like maybe spend half the class, like trying to break the hold and then he would, and you wouldn't. And then, so I, it was just a fantastic class. It was, it was, it was what I would expect from like the ultimate master. And I, I, I had a short, short period of training with him. And then we moved to the, to the States shortly after that. Right. And then, so it's, it's kind of funny. It's, you know, starting, it's like, how do you follow that up? You start at such a top level like that. And then you move back to the States and you never know how it's going to be uh, here. But it's so funny. I kind of equated to just like when someone's first getting into martial arts movies, right? You don't automatically give them, uh, let's say for a contemporary film, it's like you don't automatically get them police story, right? You might give them some other ones like build your way up into it. Don't start with the best one first or else nothing is going to, you know, yeah. be able to compare. And that's kind of like with me with what you might call uh, the heroic bloodshed genre uh, started by John Woo, right? I started with Hard Boiled, which in my opinion is the best, better than even the killer. I, I love Hard Boiled. It is. And that was the movie I started off with first. And I was just like, my mind was blown. 
and this was pretty early on. This would have, st- I found it at surprisingly enough, my local rental VHS place in our small town. And then don't get me wrong. I saw great ones after that, but nothing compared. And I imagine it's a similar thing. It's like, because this was a conscious choice for you. You chose Aikido. You are in the birthplace of Aikido. You have the top level instructors and just what a cool first experience. Yeah. I mean, I still, I still have my gi. I still have everything from that. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't fit so well. I'd, I'd hope not. Otherwise you yeah. were a giant, uh, like sixth grader. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, th- I think, you know, I wish I had continued with that teacher. I had longer with that teacher because I became a poor student, but I know like what, what did Mr. Miyagi say? There are no poor students or any poor teachers. I had a, I bounced around a lot. I bounced mm-hmm. around a lot and like quit a lot of studios and didn't have the, the stick to Uh, but then again, I ended up like around that point when I was starting to like bounce in and out of uh, dojos, I started a track and I just had a really great time running track and I had a really good coach and that like, that took up my time. And so when did you go back to Japan again? What grade was uh, that? So I was there kindergarten through like third and then all right. of junior high school and part of high, first year of high school. Then so in the 10th and 10th grade, like winter break, I moved back to the States. Oh, okay. No, no. So, okay. Sorry. Now I'm mixed up. So what, okay. When did you go to school in Japan? Let's break that down. I got so mixed up there. I, I was in Japan, uh, kindergarten through second or third grade. Uh-huh. And then seventh grade through the first half of 10th grade. Got it. Okay. Got it. So that's two things. So when you went back to Japan, uh, did you, or, oh no, that was the second stint that you were doing yeah. it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, my, have- my sister, my sister was definitely doing, um, my sister was, so my sister's seven years older than I was. Right. So she was the one who, in our first day was doing, um, Kendo and then Aikido. Got it. Very cool. Uh, so what about okay. you? Well, for me, so here's the deal. We're like the whole opposite. You're in Japan, you know, not the birthplace of martial arts, but for a lot of martial arts in America, I mean, you, you're in the me- Mecca, right? I was born and raised in the Central Valley, California. And for listeners that may not know, for example, our listeners in Belgium or Germany or these wonderful places that people are listening to us. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, not all of California is big cities and beaches. In fact, there's a large portion of the state that is actually farm and dairy land. Uh, And that's where I was born and raised, right in the middle of the state. Uh, A lot of, you know, almond farming or almond farming, uh, a ton of dairy, just kind of, you know, middle of nowhere, in a sense, you know, we're about hour and a half, two hours from the Bay Area. So we are close to that. It's where my family's originally from. So there wasn't a whole lot of options. And when the big, like, what I would call like mid nineties martial arts resurgence happened, we're to, and just pre Jackie Chan rumble in the Bronx. So we're talking, uh, obviously the Ninja Turtles were huge all throughout the early nineties, a huge influence for me. Uh, the, the first film, you know, hell yes, always. Uh, and then the, obviously the cartoon and the toys and so forth, but then also power Rangers came out. And so when I was in second grade, so it was 1994, I, I think that's when Power Rangers came out in America. And it, it just, it, it was just the shit for lack of a better word. And everyone was into it. And so every kid wanted to start doing martial arts. So it was uh, a, the beginning of second semester. So it was like, you know, the end of when, so it was like January, February, 1995. 
uh, I went and I tried the local Taekwondo school because that's all we had uh, in our small town. I mean, we were lucky we even had something, but for people that don't know, Taekwondo schools are kind of the abundant uh, one in America. And unfortunately, by this point, 1995, so we're looking like 30 plus years of, you know, these schools kind of spreading out, right? Like each instructor, it's not necessarily guaranteed you're going to get that same high quality. And I did not have a Korean instructor. You know, I had like a third generation one or maybe only second because he was already a little bit older. Uh, It's not guaranteed that the authenticity and like, quality is going to be as high. And so we were lucky we even had a school and it wasn't really an option to like go to another town and learn. Cause I know some of the surrounding towns had other stuff. I, I found out years later, like one of the small towns next to us, I think had a Kempo karate dojo, which would have been awesome, but it's, you know, it's also a matter of convenience. It's not like my you know mom's going to drive me out of the way over there. And obviously the next to us, there was Modesto, which had more schools and stuff, but same thing. It's the, the whole matter of convenience, a five to 10 minute drive from our house. And so I started off in uh, a Taekwondo slash judo school. So when I first started at the dojo, it was very, you know, it was done in a very traditional hardcore manner, which was good, especially for that first year. It established like a uh, kind of a root in me of okay, this is what martial arts training is about. And it was very much not of the, uh, and I always get mixed up with the the different branches of Taekwondo, you know, like of the Olympic style, you know, Taekwondo like that. We didn't do any of that kind of sparring. It was very much almost like what you would call uh, either Tong Sudo or Korean karate. And I've actually gone down the rabbit hole and, you know, knowing some of the specific instructors and lineage of the school I was at and tried to figure out what branch of Taekwondo it was precisely. I mean, I know we were told it was Mudokwan, which is like military system. And it was very much like that, very hard. You know, we, we learned like you would learn jump kicks, but it'd be like a jump, the flying sidekick, as we called it, or the jump back kick, but you were not doing aerials or twists or, you know, anything crazy. And it was actually a judo Taekwondo school together. And so I remember because for my mom, it was great. She's like, oh, you like this? All right, I'm putting you in this because I was not an athletic kid. I didn't do any sports. Uh, I was not good at sports. So me, my older brother, my younger brother were all put in it. My younger brother never really did it seriously. It wasn't his thing. She'd kind of just send him there, like, especially during summers when she had nothing to do with him. But my older brother and I did it regularly. And for that first year, I remember it was like three nights a week was just straight, you know, the Taekwondo training. We're talking old school, like push-ups on your knuckles and belly burners. And I remember because the carpet was so hard, I'd always have like rug burn on my knuckles from the push-ups. And I was always drenched in sweat. But then did, go did, ahead. I have a question. I have a question about the knuckle push-ups. So when I was doing, I went to a Kung Fu school in Long Beach, California. Uh-huh. And basically the rule was if you can do 25 knuckle push-ups on wood, then that's the equivalent of by then you have the strength enough to break a wooden board, one wooden board. Ooh. Did they, did they come up with a, a system like that? So that's no, 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 not really. Uh, that would have been badass though. But uh, yeah. And then, so on Tuesdays and Thursdays was judo and we actually had a judo instructor. Cause I still remember this guy. I don't remember his name, uh, but he had an old school judo geek. Cause it was different than ours. We had the Taekwondo geese, right? Uh, still the, the same, not the, like the kind where you just put on over your shoulders. We had the traditional karate style cross tie here, tie here, put on the belt, but he had that judo gi that was way thicker and had like the lines. 
and we're thinking, whoa, that guy's cool. And he would teach us judo on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And the funny part was though, we didn't learn any of the names of the techniques. It was judo one, judo two, judo three, right? Because it was put into our curriculum. So it was actually kind of a good foundation because I learned how to do rolls, do kemi, right? Rolls and falls, which I can still to this day, like do my judo falls. Uh, But then what happened was a year in, the judo instructor left. The school was actually booming. They moved to a, uh, they bought out the store. So when we first started there, the front of the store was his son's, my instructor's uh, son's computer store. We're talking mid nineties computer store. And then, so they eventually like, you know, he moved out, they took over the whole large space and then simultaneously also sold out to one of those kind of mega corporations, conglomerates, uh, martial arts, America. So therefore it kind of went, even if, you know, we didn't have necessarily the crazy high quality of instruction, we had a very old school foundation, which was good, but then that kind of dissipated. Right. And it was, you know, it was a great school for like families and, you know, learning honor and respect, which is an important part, but then the equally as important part of the the quality of the training wasn't necessarily there anymore. And so it's, it's kind of like a very long way of explaining that my first school was, that's all I had to choose from, right? And then as I got older, at this time, it was also kind of hard because this is, we're still talking pre-internet and I'd have to look in the phone book and I'd find schools. And it was a matter of like getting, you know, my mom to take me to one of these. So, you know, obviously at this point, I'm obsessed with Kung Fu movies already, Jackie Chan, you know, Bruce Lee and all this. And so you know, I, I, I jumped around, jumped around, but my history, we can talk about another day. So from this point, it's like, what I was talking about earlier is like these articles you read about how to choose the best martial arts style for you. They kind of vary. For example, I'm not sure if you've ever read the kind that talk about like picking the style based off your body type. Yes. (laughs) I've read, I've read those articles. Yeah. Cause my favorite is like, well, if you have short arms and long legs, you can't do boxing, but you can do Taekwondo. But if you have short legs and long arms, you can't do Taekwondo, you know, or, oh, if you're tall and lanky, forget about doing judo. And it's, <laughs> and so it's like, there's those ones that try to base it off of uh, like literally your anatomy and your physical at, uh, attributes in a sense. And I think that, that, okay, there's going to be a slight element of truth to that. Maybe, you know what I mean? Like, uh, especially at the age that you're starting, you know, if you're, if you're six foot five and you start martial arts, when you're like in your forties, uh, competitive wushu is probably not for you. Right. Yes. Sorry. I I was say, I oh, you, you disagree. You, Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm going to challenge you now. <laughs> no, I, I, I saw it being for me. Um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot there are a lot of options out there a lot of schools out there and finding that yeah fine I used to like I, like you like you mentioned I used to read those articles all the time like what is the right one for me because by the point that I had like gone into track and I started gravitating towards soccer I was you know a little I had to focus so much time on soccer so I'm like well what can what can work for me and you know you read those articles and you like read your your height your your lankiness and you know, I always, I always wanted to do sumo. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, that was like, 
the national, like for me, that was the national pastime. I mean, in Japan, baseball is big, uh, soccer was big and uh, sumo was big, but I would go home on my way home. I think uh, a couple nights a week during the sumo season, which they're, you know, they're short, short matches. I would stop at the local udon shop, grab some udon and watch uh, my favorite uh, sumo wrestler, which was uh, former Yokozuna, Chiyono Fuji, rest in peace. And I sent you- He's the one, yeah, yeah. He's the one you sent me. Yeah. You know, he was, he was lean at 250 pounds and he, he was an Aikido practitioner. And that was one of the reasons why I gravitated towards Aikido. But uh, yeah, I wanted, that's the sport I wanted to do. And there were just so many restrictions and one being, I don't know if you can, you know, the size, the size of my body. It's, well, I mean, I'm, I'm not even Shino Fuji size and he was, you know, he was big compared to me. And so, so right there, we're, we're stumbling across like one of the first things of like how to pick a style for you. Like what's the reasoning? And this is a huge one. Uh, sometimes it comes just down to being inspired by something you've seen or something you're into. So for example, uh, there's a whole plethora of people, especially, you know, from the seventies and eighties who grew up watching Kung Fu movies as they're coming out. And so were inspired to do Kung Fu for that reason and, you know, devoted themselves to these arts, you know, for their entire life and are phenomenal. And, you know, uh, it's, you know, cause it takes a lot of devotion, especially with some of the Southern Kung Fu styles. Like, you know, I've done yes. some Hungar classes just for fun when I was in Hong Kong. Oh my God. I'm like, how do you remember? And there's how many forms? Like I, I couldn't, you know, I did like a, a two or three hour private lesson with my good friend, Danny. Uh, cause he's an off and on again, Hungar practitioner. And he really wanted to train in Hong Kong while we were there. And I'm just like, and yes, I understand you repeat some of it, but I'm just like, Oh my God, this is beautiful and amazing. But I don't know if this is for me at this point. And it, you know, it's, it's, it's complex. And then you start adding in the weapons forms and so forth. And I, I think that for some people, it doesn't even necessarily become an aspect of wanting to learn how to fight or wanting to learn how to, you know, or even self-defense. It's just a matter of, wow, I, I love what I've seen here. Like, or even you, you saw sumo, you love sumo, you want to try sumo. And I think that's a really cool way to kind of get into it. Right. Like you're just yeah. so inspired to try to do something that you do it. I, I, when we got to, when I, so when I moved from a Japanese uh, junior high school to an American junior high school, because I was getting closer to high school age and I, I wasn't transitioning into a, a Japanese high school. I was definitely going to go to an American high school. So international right. schools, we would play, we would play sumo in the, in the, you know, the schoolyard uh-huh. and, um, I was one of the older students. So, I mean, obviously I'm like, and also a big sumo fan. So I could just like throw the, throw, throw my fellow classmates around. Wasn't a bully. They entered the, they entered the circle. <laughs> <laughs> they entered the octagon. They, yeah. they hey, enter at your they own risk, at bro. Me. Enter at your own risk. I, I warned you. So my, the high school principal decided to, he was going to humble me or teach me a lesson. Uh. So he got in, he's like six foot, six feet. Let's just put him at six feet. And he was like a swimmer, a big guy. And he was, you know, he had his gym shorts on because he was teaching gym that day. It's an international school. They teach multiple classes. I'm sorry, Mr. Donaldson for uh, telling this story, but I ah. gave him such a wedgie oh! <laughs> because, you know, you grab the belt. Yeah, of <laughs> course. The belt. And I lifted because I was trying to get him out. So I lifted and like, it just, it was a terrible wedgie. And then I, I got, him. I won, but I just, you beat him. Well, he wasn't prepared for the wedgie. 
but I wasn't good. trying to wedgie yeah. him again. Not a bully. He entered the circle. <laughs> and I was that's, just, that's some straight up eighties and nineties techniques right there. Go for the wedgie yeah. or the wet willy. Yeah. So you just, yeah, but you just, yeah. Cause you get the, you go for the belt. I, yeah. I didn't realize well, it was wearing like those. That's bait, actually like a common, a, a common trait amongst Southeast Asian wrestling styles. They have that belt. Yeah. Uh, you know, cause Korean, uh, I forget what the native Korean wrestling style has the same one and Hey, whatever works. So, so that was around the time that I, w- I was doing Aikido because I was inspired by Shono Fuji. But uh, my 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 point being, like physically, I could not be a sumo wrestler or be competitive. And also, there are there are other restrictions. I would have had to enter uh, Japanese uh, high school and actually mm. enter from a very young age. There there right. are a lot of restrictions as a as uh, to follow that life. Uh, and then later in life, uh, in college age, I tried kung fu school. Uh, I think what we've discussed is I loved like the tempo aspect of it. And it was Wing Chun and Bakwa Tai Chi. And uh, on Fridays they had hungar and I attended all the Friday classes, but I mean, that was so hard on the legs, but that was one that suited me. Yeah. Just like, I liked, I like going like basically, you know, instead of the four step horse stance, it's more like a six step horse stance or even a little further and just getting, almost like a full foot underneath where you stood. That's, that's the true Mahabu right there. The true yeah. horse stance that, you know, none of this wall sit baloney. Yeah. Uh, you're going deep into it. So it's interesting. Cause you, you right there have kind of hit the first two things I was going to talk about right there. You had the, okay. Being inspired by someone uh, and inspired by the Kung Fu movies, but also the sport aspect. So now a lot of people get into martial arts because of the competitive sport nature of it. And previous generations, I'd say it was usually when you started young, for example, uh, like wrestling, you know, American style wrestling is usually started. You're quite young at the, usually at the oldest, like high school, unless you're someone like Don, the dragon Wilson, who went into it in college and then did quite well. Uh, but, or even like, you know, boxing a lot of times it's like a family thing. Oh, my uncle's a boxer. My dad's a boxer. You start young, uh, and, but not always just, there's kind of that aspect, like you even said with sumo of starting younger, but so there's people that get, got into it, still get into it for the sport aspect. Now we have MMA, MMA is, has made a huge cultural influence. And so, you know, a lot of young kids get into it because, oh, I want to compete. I want to do that. Uh, I mean, it could be the same for judo, taekwondo. There's that competitive aspect that people get into it for, and that's the reason they choose to do it. Which for me, for example, when I was younger, it was more the being inspired by the Ninja Turtles, Surf Ninjas, Power Rangers, all this. But then obviously, as I got older and through the Kung Fu movies specifically and being introduced to these extremely high level kickboxers that oh, they just resonated with me. Whereas before it was the, the Kung Fu specifically and obviously the power of Bruce Lee. And, but it's through watching the Jackie Chan, Samuel Hung movies where slowly it was like less of the Kung Fu uh, you know, just after years and years of watching it, more of the kickboxing, I got really into the way they moved and their dynamic uh, presence on screen. And, you know, seeing guys like uh, Betty, the jet and uh, our sensei, Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham, uh, Jerry, the golden boy, Trimble, all these guys that it kind of just, you know, planted the seed in my brain where later I was like, you know what, I need, I need to do something like this. I need to compete. Cause I never did sports really. I wasn't that good uh, as a kid. I wasn't an athletic kid. And so that was kind of the later version for me to go into it. Yeah, I think uh, 
I think there, there's always that initial inspiration. There's that initial reason we're looking, whether it's the, you know, whether it's like the stories of no retreat, no surrender, that maybe when somebody getting bullied or somebody getting inspired. And, but that original inspiration, like I don't go to PD now because of Chuno Fuji, but if I talk about Chuno Fuji, it will like, you know, bring back a little inspiration for me to dig deep, a little, uh, you know, a little deeper to train with, you know, Sensei Cunningham. But uh, you ha- there's an inspiration, then you have to find your own reason. I guess kind of going back to, uh, yeah, you just have to like, you have to find your own reason why you're continuing. So I think, uh, I think you just, you just hit that. There, there comes a point like with any sport or with any musical instrument, like when you're, when we're kids, when we're picking up these different hobbies, so often there's a reason we pick up the hobby and then a reason or a lack of a reason why we put that hobby down. So we've like, if you think about how many hobbies we blow through as kids and then the one or two that have stuck with us, you know, it's because something more, there's, there's a, there's a second wave of inspiration that comes from within. Like now that you're doing it, you understand it more and you want to, this is, this is why you're continuing on this path. Most definitely. And then, so I think kind of maybe the, the third reason we'll talk about today for, you know, taking up a martial art of any sort is the self-defense aspect, right? It could be purely, Hey, you know what? I should learn how to defend myself on the street. Cause you never know. Or um, you may have had an unfortunate incident where something happened to you, right? Like an event where you are attacked or assaulted in some way, God forbid that ever happens to anyone. Right. But that may be your catalyst for, you know, learning martial arts. I don't ever want to let that happen to me again. And so self-defense, because obviously self-defense and especially like traditional martial arts go hand in hand. Uh, And, you know, obviously self-defense can also be associated with any sports specific martial art too. Typically Uh, it can be applicable in, you know, real life situations you'd hope. And so really those are kind of like the, the three main reasons I was talking about today or wanted to talk about say reasons for choosing a martial art. And so I think now what we should do is kind of talk about our tips and suggestions of how to find whether it's just, Hey, you know what? I'm inspired to learn because I love Kung Fu movies. I want to learn Kung Fu or, Hey, I watched John Wick three that judo and Aikido stuff they're doing. That's badass. I want to learn that. Or if, Hey, you know what? I really like watching the UFC. I'm young. I'm in shape. You know, I want to, I want to apply myself. I want to give it a shot. Okay. Or you know what? This is a scary world we live in. There's all sorts of heinous people out there. I want to make sure I'm prepared to defend myself in case anything ever happens. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think so for me, so if we're just jumping into like how we found and how, how we find, like for me, it's going, and my experience might be different than I think my experience is different than yours. It's going to be major luck out. And then a lot of like, strikeouts using sports terms here. I mean, in just a lot of places. And again, like I know earlier I said, quoted Mr. Miyagi, there are no bad students, they're bad teachers. I'll be honest, there are bad students. Oh and yeah, hundred percent. And <laughs> I was a bad, I was a bad student or a poor student because I wasn't disciplined or interested. And I just, but the thing is I kept, kept trying different schools right. along the way. And, and the, the thing I want to help people with, because we've both been there hundred percent is trying to avoid those strikeouts. Cause nowadays we have the advantage, not always, but we'll get to this also uh, of the internet. And, yeah. you know, and that's why my, my key thing 
is research. Yeah, yeah, and you're and you're very you're really good at the at research because I I will tell like before we had uh, the internet and we were looking at magazines and phone books, there was also the the drive by. Like driving in the car. Oh, yeah, that was the best. Mom, slow down the car. They had a kitchen kung fu. Or I saw a funny, real quick story. Around the corner from my high school, Modesto, I went to Modesto High School in the middle of the ghetto. Uh, You know, we we almost always, and there's a bunch of one-way streets in Modesto. So you're almost always taking like the same paths. I remember there was one day we we went around for some reason. We took an alternate street. I was like, all right, whatever. And as we're driving by, I caught the corner of my eye in this like old dilapidated building. Uh, a tai chi, uh, like a yin yang, and then it said uh, tai chi and kung fu or something. I was like, "What?" Oh. But I literally thought it was closed down because it looked that old. And I just discovered that school's still there and it's still operating. <laughs> oh wow, that's yeah. amazing! Because that, those are the kind of schools that I would instantly be attracted to. You know, right. like the um, the ones that that have that kind of character. And and for me now. Uh, I think I'm much more interested in Tai Chi now than I ever was back then. I was like, oh, I don't want to do, I, I, the funny part is I definitely thought, I, I probably thought Tai Chi was actually more legit as a fighting art back then than I do now. Now I'm more interested in it for the holistic practice and the spiritual practice. But back then I just think I was like, you know, I not wanting to do it in a sense. I was like, oh, I don't want to move so slow and stuff and it's badass, but it's not for me. And, yeah, and so, yeah, as you were saying, the drive-bys and yeah, yeah, the drive-bys. Yeah, I mean, so being able to do research, but also being willing to like, it's it's like if you were in a class that you liked. The other day, I was trying to do a, a right high round kick to the head, and I I took off and landed. Like you have to just be willing to get back up and and go again. And oh, you I fell mean, down. Oh yeah. Oh man, it classic, was, classic. Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't taken class in a while. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. But uh, the the thing is, like when you when you get to one of these schools, that doesn't fit for you don't let that influence how how another school might fit for you just keep yes. uh, keep going i mean cobra kai and dimitri show us this don't doesn't he when he like goes from cobra kai to miyagi do but i mean like uh all all references to to pop culture aside you've got to keep you've got to keep going and trying different doses because if you if, if something spoke to you it spoke to you for a reason and so keep going Right. And on that note, it's funny because when I graduated from uh, undergrad in 2009, I decided I didn't know what I was doing with my life. I moved home for a year. Uh, once again, I have now graduated during two of the worst recessions in history. And I was very fortunate that a family friend gave me a job at their uh, company. And so I was looking, I had been doing kickboxing at that point now for about a year. And I had gone from two incredible schools. I started at the Inasano Academy in LA while I was there for an internship. Uh, and then I switched over uh, for my last year of college and I was training at AKA in San Jose with uh, my instructor, Jerome Turcan, one of the greatest of all time. And then I moved back to Modesto. And by this point, you know, a- MMA was up and coming and stuff. And so there was a few like MMA gyms that taught kickboxing and stuff. I went and tried out a few and they were just, it was just disastrous experiences, right? Like, uh, cause I never went in with an ego at all. But I also, at the same time, my head was like, you know, well, I've been doing it for, you know, a little over a year and I had done already smoker fights and what they now call like point kickboxing tournaments. Uh, And, you know, I was, I just, just had a really bad experience with the few like uh, big commercial MMA gyms I tried, you know, like, and then this is going to happen. You you walk in clashing of egos or, you know, oh, the new guy, well, you know, you're not that good. And then, and Luckily for me, I could have easily just given up there. And at first I was like, you know what, then I'm just, I'm just going to work out in the gym and blah, blah. But luckily I ended up finding 
an amazing school that I had to drive a lot farther to like way farther to, but ended up being worth it. And that's when I got to train with my second coach, uh, Mitch, uh, who was awesome and, you know, helped me, uh, really get ready for Thailand as well as did Jerome. But, uh, so yeah, like I kind of just piggybacking off what you said, don't let a bad experience deter you from continuing to try to find something. And so the, the advantage nowadays with research is it's twofold, pretty much every, martial arts school or gym is going to have a website of some sort, whether it's an actual website or uh, a Facebook page all the time. Facebook pages are actually pretty good because they, it's easy for them to set up and it, you know, you can put about info and it gives all the information and stuff. Then you could actually see the profile of the individual instructor usually, but this, it comes back to this element of transparency because really I expect when I'm going on one of these websites or something, you know, as the head instructor, you better give me your freaking bio. I want it because I think that's fair enough. Just like, you know, when you're turning in a job application, you give your resume with kind of, you know, your highlights and this and that. And it's not, I'm not expecting this huge series of accomplishments. All I'm expecting is, once again, transparency in your background, like what it is you do, how you learned it, who you learned from, you know what I mean? If I'm like, oh, well, he was never a champion or never did anything worthwhile. That's not the point. I just want to know the truth. And for example, even if it's as simple as let's say you're, you know, uh, like, I don't know, you find a judo school and the instructor, you know, maybe they don't even have a competitive background in a sense, but oh, in 1990, so I started training with blah, blah, blah instructor. And then, you know, after five years, I earned my first dawn. Then I switched over to blah, blah, blah school where I got to train here. Nah, 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 nah. And then blah, blah, blah. You know, at, at this time, I opened up the first branch. You know what I'm saying? It just kind of gives like, okay, cool. This person's been doing a long time. They're a legitimate black belt. They trained with so-and-so who is of this lineage. You know, I can, th- this person seems legit. Uh, or, you know, for example, and I, I know I'm a little more uh, nitpicky about this, but if you're teaching like a re- a straight up competitive fighting style, almost like, you know, let's say Muay Thai or kickboxing, I expect you to have some sort of background, you know, uh, oh, I, I trained and I fought here, you know, under this, then blah, blah, blah. I fought in this organization, then, and, 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 you know, I trained for this many years under so-and-so and then, and, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, you know, a, a, a complete sense of honesty and transparency. So uh, I know because remember, j- just because you didn't necessarily have a ton of accomplishments doesn't make you a, uh, a bad teacher. You can be a great teacher, but I just want to know the truth and not like I took a weekend course. Yeah. I mean, and, it's almost, almost sounds like you're de- describing the, the teacher from Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> Rex, Rex Bondo, you think anybody wants a roundhouse kick when I'm wearing these bad boys? Uh, but dude, obviously uh, he messes up. Uh, oh, was it Uncle Carlos or whatever? When yeah, he messes somebody up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's got some decent yeah. little chits. <laughs> was it Deedrich Bader, right? Or from uh, Drew Carey show? He's yes. awesome. But for example, uh, and kind of going on the self-defense aspect. So I want to talk a bit, uh, something about Krav Maga, right? So like, especially after the movie Enough came out with J-Lo, remember Krav Maga started popping up everywhere. Then I started seeing like fitness Krav Maga, more in the style mm-hmm. of Tai Bo. And, you know, at this age, I'm already a martial arts nut. You know, this is 2001. I know like just 
every style. I had literally had books like dictionaries and martial arts styles and stuff that I would just read. So I'm like, wow, when did all these like Israeli special forces soldiers show up to America and open up Krav Maga schools? Right. Cause that was just my expectation. I'm like, if, if you're a Krav Maga expert or instructor, you, you pretty much had to have been in the Israeli military. Right. And I, I understand that obviously as generations pass, you're going to uh, maybe have people that weren't, but my expectation is for something like Krav Maga, like a military fighting system, you better have some sort of police or military background. And I realized that's one of the most commercialized systems now in that sense. And it has belts and everything now, which nothing gets ranking, but I, I see some of the, the ways these, these classes are run and so forth. And I'm like, huh, I mean, it looks kind of more just like a, a you know, a traditional karate class or something. And I bring this up specifically because uh, you know, I'm, I'm very interested, especially as I, you know, I'm obviously I'm going to be fighting for probably a few more years now, uh, because of COVID putting, you know, it's behind a little bit, but I've, I've definitely want to segue into grappling slash self-defense type stuff. Cause I'd love in the future to be able to really officially teach self-defense, you know, uh, in almost a charitable kind of way, right. Like find a way to get back to the community. And so I've done my research, right. Like, well, you know, and so I was really into Krav Maga for a minute there, just doing my research on it, especially in the LA area. So I follow a bunch of these schools on Instagram. And one of them, it's like this big, beautiful school, you know, uh, and the guy does all sorts of very like cool, clean looking like Muay Thai combos. Uh, but it, it, and it's not very Krav Maga, nor is it very, it's, you know, it's, it's hard. It's like the technique is there, but I don't know if the authenticity is, you know what I mean? So I went to this particular school site. I wanted to read about uh, the instructor. And the bio is like, it, it's, you know, it says something like, oh, well, actually he started in dun, 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 martial art and that's it. And then it's like, and then open the, and, the, and there's no background. I was like, okay, so especially if you're like a civilian, I'm going to want to know who you learned Krav Maga from, you know what I mean? It's like, okay, so you weren't in the army of any sort. You weren't, you know, a police officer, you, and you know, what, what's your background? Where did you literally just do like weekend seminars enough to get certified? And then now you're teaching like what's supposed to be one of the most uh, legitimate self-defense arts. You know what I mean? And so that's why when I say do your research, I think it's important to like for these websites, you know, these schools, these instructors to be transparent and at least give like their background. You don't have to go into too much detail, but just why I can trust you. Because unfortunately, there is no sort of governing body that regulates this in the US or anywhere, really, right? It's not like there's a federal commission that uh, it's like you can report to, well, oh, 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 hold on, this big dojo, this guy is a really, a, you know, a fake instructor. No, it's not like you're going to be fined by uh, the FCC or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, I, no, you're right, dude, because there, there, there are no regulations over it. Right. There's no, it's almost like the governing bodies. Not that there should be regulations from the government, but the governing bodies of the different uh, the different martial arts organizations don't necessarily govern over you know because they're not necessarily affiliated. So also looking for affiliation. But when I say that, uh, it makes me also think of and I like I don't know certain things are supposed to be private, some things are public. So I'm going to make my my former boss uh, does kudo, right? Japanese archery, Yo. but he's not. But he's a member of, he's like, I think he's a member. He's the master of the Los Angeles Kudokai. Okay. But, uh, of course, 
things he's not affiliated with the Kudokai in Japan, but he's respected by them. Some of his students want to get into that. And again, I'm, I don't know if I'm allowed to reveal certain things, but so they have to take testing over there and they get ranked. And so some, sometimes eventually people get over, will outrank him, but he is still like the grandmaster. Yeah. I'm sure if, if you, if I brought any of this up to him, he just said, no, no, that's not the case. Well, um, and that, that's you, you're hitting it on the head right there. Another great way to do your research in a sense is talk if you know people that train in martial arts or who have trained, you know, in this particular style that you can ask them like, Hey, what do you think? What's your experience with blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then they can obviously tell you, well, what are you looking for? What do you want to do exactly? Like, you know, if someone wanted to ask me about the kickboxing scene in LA, it'd be like, Oh, well, what's your goal? Do you just want to get in shape? Yeah. Yeah. You know, or I'm like, Oh, do you want to learn how to like fight and defend yourself? Yeah. Or do you want to compete? You know? And so, yeah. uh, well, these it's- are all, yeah. And spe- speaking speaking to to what you're just saying, uh, you know, one of the best the best teacher I've ever trained with, and I shouldn't say this. That again, like I'm trying to be, I'm probably turning a little. Uh, I'm getting a little sensitive with the way I'm speaking because the best combination of teacher to student, meaning me the student, uh, is a result of being recruited over to that student or being invited over. So when I was at uh, the Dragon Fest, and you guys. Um, I think Herman, it was Herman who, who said, hey, why don't you come train with Petey? So it's the students are also a great way to gauge um, if it's the right path for you, because the students can also kind of see you if they see you training with somebody else or have seen you training or et cetera, just like recruit, recruiting amongst companies, amongst sports teams, you see someone and if someone from that team or someone from that dojo approaches you, you they might know something more about that dojo after having seen you train to, to know or knowing who you train with to know that, Hey, you're someone who should be with us. Right. So recruitment is also a great, and the only way to get recruited is to get yourself out there and start working at others, working with particular schools to get seen or not, if not seen your master's known or your teacher's known. And then therefore the teacher, uh, another teacher, another school might invite you over. Yeah. And the, the thing is there's, there's a plethora of information now on the internet, which can be great or it can be bad. So when you do your research, you have to make sure, you know, your what you're reading is true. I mean, Wikipedia is always a great starting place, right? You can't trust everything that's on Wikipedia, but then it can lead you to like links and so forth and articles and this and that. So you can do your own research. We have things like YouTube now where you can watch videos of the particular styles and sometimes of the actual school you may want to go to, right? Uh and I've, I've gone to, and I've sent you some of these videos. I've gone down the rabbit hole of schools. So I'm, for once again, listeners, not sure. I've relocated uh, temporarily up into the mountains in Northern California. So especially in an area like this, it's not like LA where you can, you know, find some sort of martial arts school, you know, within a few block radius. They're few and far between up here. So some of the ones I find are, they're kind of, they're, they're gems. You know what I mean? <laughs> sometimes a good way, sometimes in bad. But so, you know, I, I, did my research. I found all these schools. I would look for videos on YouTube. Uh, and, you know, sometimes it's not as easy as just typing it in. Sometimes you have to do a little more research. And the thing is, if you truly want to devote yourself to something, you should step into it, you know, uh, 100%. And for me, for example, there's, there is a school up in this general area and uh, they, you know, they teach a grappling system. And for me right now, I'm kind of doing all my own kickboxing on my own self-training until like things pick up. So I thought about, okay, maybe once uh, 
you know, pandemic uh, subsides, I'll go try them out. And uh, it's a traditional Japanese jujitsu style, which as you know, there's multiple branches. So I've done just tons of research on this particular branch of jujitsu. And I've watched just probably hours of videos of different schools, right? Because it depends on the school, the exact curriculum, because uh, it's kind of a, a hybrid jiu-jitsu system that was uh, started uh, in uh, Hawaii. I guess I could say dance and Ryu jiu-jitsu. And so from when I you know watch all these videos and stuff, you see some, and it's like 75% judo techniques, both the throws and the grappling on the ground or the submissions on the ground, and maybe a small portion of uh, like Aikido joint manipulation. Other schools I watch their videos, it's the opposite, 75% like Aikido type techniques and a very small portion judo. And I, you know, and then once again, small uh, submissions on the ground. And, you know, for me, I'm more interested in the judo aspect and the ground fighting, which is, you know, uh, once again, I have a strong enough base to defend myself and stuff from my years of martial arts experience and learning. But that's kind of what I'm more interested in learning as opposed to the Aikido type stuff, which uh, I got to learn uh, a lot of the Aikido Jiu-Jitsu type techniques while I was in Shonen Jikenpo. And I think it's good, once again, to know like one way out of everything, but it's just not my favorite thing, you know, as I kind of right. say, the flowery techniques. Uh, well, you so, raise a good, go ahead. Oh, sorry. You, you raise a good point about like research. I think when think it was two summers ago I was uh, house sitting in Pasadena and it's you know kind of a commute to go see PD so I was looking at local kickboxing studios near me and uh, near my location and there's this one school that had the exterior the drive-by looked good the the website looked good the bios looked good and so I started clicking on doing research and I think I had to go into YouTube and basically they were almost like a farm school to get people into fights so it's like a training people for professional fights. But then uh, when I'm watching the fights, I'm like, man, these guys are not ready. Mm. Um, you don't see them retaining students. So it's always like after a couple of fights is another couple of fights for somebody else. And it's just like, no, this is not the kind of school I want to go to because so I, I just started, you know, doing the commute over to PD when I could. But uh, you know, if you're, if you are willing to put in the time to actually research a full school, you might actually see their results because if they're, if they're, if, if they're a lot, obviously it's a business, people need to make money, but if they're putting money first, you're going to see high turnover for the student. Whereas if they're putting the student first, the students are going to stay a long time and they're going to be self-sustaining. Well, as my buddy, uh, Dr. Antonio Grichefo, the Brooklyn monk will say, uh, fight gyms don't make money. And so, uh, and don't get me wrong. There's a few, the very successful ones. Typically they're now the ones that have like top tier, uh, professional MMA guys of recognition, you know, like something like an AKA, uh, black zillions, you know, so forth, so forth. Uh, but most of the time fighters gyms, you know, don't make money. And that's not to say anything against, uh, the coaches or the fighters there. Sometimes they're phenomenal. Like, you know, uh, PD and I used to train at a gym in Van Nuys, a, a boxing gym, uh, uh, Watson's that was, uh, I believe started by Henry Tillman, Olympic gold medalist. And unfortunately it closed down. This was pre COVID too. It wasn't from COVID. It was just like, wow, it was, there was some super high level guys in there. And it just, you know, it's hard to make money as a fighter's gym. So then your option is being more of a commercial gym, you know, uh, geared towards 
kind of, you might even say the traditional martial arts aspect, but here's the deal. If you want to become an MMA fighter, you better do your research and you better find a good fight gym, you know, not just a commercial kind of martial arts gym. There's, there's a few that have successfully combined both. You know what I mean? Uh, But more often than not, that is a very hard uh, thing to manage to do both. And so you know, like, let's say if you're just getting into it for fitness or whatever, who knows, you may stumble into a real like MMA gym and it works out great for you, right? Like, no, I don't want to fight, but I'm going to train. Okay, cool. But if you're like, man, I want to be a fighter. I want to compete. I want to do this. And then you go to like this commercialized gym that may put people in fights and, you know, they're not ready. Uh, Cause you know, the quality of coaching isn't there. You know, it could be dangerous for you. And yeah. so, and that's the nice thing about obviously having the, the internet is, uh, and, and video documentation is you can kind of double, triple check on these things. And I think uh, another important thing I just want to put out there before I forget is, so obviously we've gone over these different reasons, whether it's self-defense, whether it's for the competitive aspect, whether it's just because I'm totally inspired, uh, you know, by the movies and stuff. I'd say, don't let the haters bring you down. And by that, I mean, let's say, that, and this could be a tribute to any physical endeavor, but like, let's say you're like, you know what? I really want to do the Naginate, right? Did I say that right? Okay. Which in traditional yes, Japanese we weaponry, thank you, is uh, it was a, uh, a weapon of women of Japan, right? It's like a long spear, very long spear with like a short blade on the end, like a, almost like a knife sized blade. And guess what? Maybe you, you know, let's say you're a male and you're like, you know what? I see this. I think it's beautiful. It's an art form and I just want to do it. Then you do it. You know what I mean? And, and hold, on, hold on one second. I'm not seeing, did we just lose the recording? No, it says it's still recording. Okay. Yeah, it does. Sorry about that. No worries. It's just but, like my, yeah. so my zoom has been wonky today and it's like, I've been having anyway, better to be safe than sorry. sorry. You yeah. know what I mean? And so, you know, same thing, like, you, you do that Naginate, you know what I mean? You, you embrace it and you do it. And let's say even if like you want to do just a completely performance-based martial art, like, you know, maybe it's a traditional Kung Fu style or Tai Chi, for example, like, oh, I want to do Tai Chi. I think it's beautiful. And people are like, oh, well, you'll never be able to fight with that. Blah. As long as you're not going around saying that, you're, you know, you know, you're trying to be a fighter and this and that. And if, if you're like, hey, man, you know, I just, I want to do Tai Chi because I think it's really cool and it's meditative. It's like, then you do it. If you're a good person, and it makes you happy, then you do it. And it's kind of, yeah. it's funny going back to uh, dudes of Kung Fu and Big Sean may rest in peace. It's something he used to reiterate on the show a lot. And I like that. It's like, you know what, if, if you do it and it makes you happy, then cool. You know, yeah, yeah. everybody goes into martial arts for different reasons. <laughs> it's, it's how you, it's how you feel after you walk away from it. Are you, and I think that's one of the great advantages of martial arts. You're usually going to walk away pretty happy. You might, I mean, there might be, you know, there might be struggles within a class or like with the technique and you're, you're going to like work on that, but you're, you're usually going to walk away feeling happier uh, when it comes to like the, 
So you're, you're following, looking at the three reasons why the inspiration, you're going to be happy because you're getting close to your inspiration. If you're looking for competitive reasons, you're improving towards that competition. So you're going to feel happier. And then number three, self-defense wise, when you're, when you're walking away from those classes, you're feeling, you're already going to feel more confident. You're going to be walking down the street with a little more confidence. And you know what? I feel that sometimes, uh, those who are of the predatory nature do not approach those who are of the confident nature. Love the jungle, uh, baby. You can sense yeah. weakness, which isn't necessarily going to always save you if you seem really strong, but at the same time, it could deter somebody from, you know, choosing you as their prey. Yeah. Which, and we've just debunked a bunch of action movies because they always pray to <laughs> the strong person. Hey man. Give me your wallet. Was that, I think the perfect yeah. weapon. And he's like, what you want this? You want this? <laughs> Knocks out five guys at once. I remember my best friend, Dave, when we first watched it, junior high, was like, that would have never happened. He couldn't knock out all those guys with one punch. I was like, yeah, he but, could, man. He's just speaking. He's the perfect weapon. But <laughs> it's also like uh, uh, hard for hard, no, hard to kill in the, the, the liquor store scene. Oh yeah. Man, what you laughing at? Well, you only got, there are only four of you and you only got one bullet left. Yeah. <laughs> Bullets, guns right here. Which, as I discovered last time I was watching it was the uh, Chinese liquor market in Echo Park that unfortunately burned down. Yeah. I couldn't believe it when they shows them right walking outside. I was like, wait a minute. I used to go to Lassen's across the street right there. And I had gone into that market uh, one time with coincidentally enough, that same friend, Dave, uh, who was visiting and it was a Chinese family running. And I was like, Oh, I got to, you know, speak a little Chinese. And I, I felt really bad when that place burned down. Uh, not did, sure you, did you, did you ask them if they had the Oscars on tonight? Ah, but, uh, <laughs> so yeah, like kind of to sum things up. So, you know, let's say you want to just do a performance-based martial art. You're inspired by, you know, like Kung Fu and this and that. Cool. Find the Kung Fu you want to do. Like, you know, let's, let's say you're very inspired by Gordon Liu. So you're like, right, I'm going to look up Gordon Liu. What did Gordon Liu do? Okay. Gordon Liu did Hungar. Okay. So I'm going to try to find a Hungar school. Okay. Let's hear. There's a few here. All right. So I have a few to choose from. Let me see what's their, you know, who'd they learn from? Okay. What's this lineage? Oh, wow. And they can trace it back. To, okay. Then maybe watch some videos if you can, then maybe go check out the school maybe try out a class so you can get to like, see if you were a good fit, a good vibe in there. And then, you know, great. Uh, let's say if you're trying a fighter's gym, same thing. You'd be like, well, what do you want to do? I want to box. I want to kickbox. I want to do MMA. Uh, okay. So do your research. Like where is an actual like fighter's gym? No, no, no. Okay. Well, this is a, it says they teach MMA class, but it's, you know, a Taekwondo school. Probably not. Right. You know, okay. Oh, this is a fighter's gym. Oh, and so-and-so fights out of there. I've heard of that guy. I'm going to go try it out still, you know, see if I'm a good vibe. Okay. Oh, maybe I don't mesh well with this coach, which was the same thing for me. When I first went to AKA, when I first tried it, once again, I was on the border of quitting because the first coach I was training with was just, just didn't like me. Uh, I, <laughs> there's no other way to put it. Just really didn't like me. And I just thank God that I, decided, you know, I was like, well, with my schedule, I can also do the morning classes. And I found Jerome, uh, who to this day is just a huge inspiration for me. And uh, so, yeah, you're going to want to make sure. All right. And then go in and talk to him and be like, hey, so you know what? Uh, my whole point of training martial arts is, you know, I really want to compete. Uh, I mean, like, that's my goal. I want to try it. It's just something I feel I want to do. And if they're like, well, you know what? Uh, it takes a lot to get on our fight team. You know, we're, you know, we don't, 
just let anybody on. We don't give everybody the chance to fight. You know, we don't do low enough level competitions. You might want to try somewhere else. Okay. Or maybe it's they're very welcoming. Like, well, cool. You know, you have to train with us for this amount of time, bare minimum, you know, like six months. And then we'll assess whether, you know, you're ready or not. And then we'll find you an appropriate competition that works at your level. You know, it may take some time. So it's probably a good fit right there. Right. Uh, Self-defense. You better do your research, watch the videos, uh, go in and talk to the instructor, figure out who they are, figure out why they are good at teaching self-defense. Maybe talk to other students perhaps and see how it's helped them, how it's made them feel, uh, like, why is this good? So, you know, oh, you're only going to teach me how to punch and kick. You know, what about if someone grabs me or, oh, you know, you're, you're only going to uh, teach like defenses against the choke or the, the hold like this. What about if it's somebody more aggressive or if it's, you know, uh, they have a weapon or something like that. And also watch how they apply their training. Why does your training work? Because, you know, once again, completely unrelated Krav Maga school, I really went down that Krav Maga rabbit hole. <laughs> I found another school that I was very impressed with, with their training and everything like, and from even, and this was one of those ones that did like the black belt stuff. But, you know, once again, I, I saw their kind of who they came from, who their instructor was, how they certified instructors. And I was like, well, I guess if you're not going to be actual like military, this is pretty close to it. And let's, let's keep in mind, most traditional martial arts start off as military arts. And then, you know, you can't expect it to stay that way forever. And so I, I like their facilities. I like the breakdown of their curriculum. I looked up their curriculum, how they broke things down, striking, grappling, this, that I watched their, uh, pressure testing training. Like, you know, when people come at you and it looked very effective, I was like, wow. But then the one thing for me that didn't sell me was when I was watching kind of like, what was their free sparring? You know, like we put on gloves and shins and we're going to spar like full contact. And I was like, oh, that's great because that's like, I mean, the ultimate way to pressure test. It's one thing if like the instructor's like coming at you with a set thing and you still have to test under pressure, but it's a whole nother thing when it's okay. You don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what you're doing. We're going all out. And when I watched that sparring, it was very much like, I was like, oh, it's like they were kind of trying to imitate like Mayweather and do all the like really intricate boxing stuff. And I was like, uh, and they like, it was very, what I call fufu lala. And I was like, well, oh man, you lost me there. Uh, so once again, I'd say that, that that's kind of the harder one right there. Self-defense wise. I I'd imagine that might be the most difficult one to pick a really good school. Uh, it, you know, yeah. you, you could look, you can look into like instructors and type stuff because what happens is a lot of these schools actually start off as I'd say as a legitimate self-defense thing, but then how do you make money? You have to commercialize, you have to yeah. open up locations. And then anytime you do that, it suddenly becomes more watered down. And it's like, you know, you, you may benefit from choosing something like say Muay Thai or kickboxing that gets you in phenomenal shape, which I still think is like Muay Thai is like the best, uh, you know, self-defense standing art in my personal opinion. And, you know, I do kickboxing. I love Muay Thai, but I don't consider myself a Muay Thai, uh, straight up Muay Thai practitioner, uh, if that makes sense. But I think Muay Thai is the best uh, standing self-defense art because it's so straightforward and scientific in the best kind of way. But so maybe you do something like that, right? Like, uh, and then you also do self-defense seminars because I think the one-off yeah, self-defense seminars, you know, aren't, aren't enough. No, that that's that's exactly what I was I was gonna say. Uh, yeah, it's if if you can't find a great self defense school, you want you want to not not do something. So you you get into the martial art, the, the regular the regular commercial school, 
and then realize that you might have to supplement through Mm -hmm. the seminars. Or if you're in a really great school, they're bringing in master teachers or guest teachers that right. will will hold seminars there for the students as a as sort of like a replacement class or a special class. So you might get upsold into a little bit, but again, the whole point is to protect your life. So why not? Yeah, and the, you know, same thing. It, it could be like, well, I really feel I want to learn grappling for self defense, but I, you know, most of these schools are like maybe it's, there's only competitive BJJ in your area. It's like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to train like a competitor. I just want to learn like self-defense. And so there are now, I'd say there's kind of not a new age, but once again, you can do your research. You can always ask me. I know a lot of stuff. Feel free to message me on Instagram and I follow all sorts of people. There's like, for example, Burton Richardson, who's a long time, uh, Inasano Academy, Jeet Kune Do expert, C-Lot expert, kickboxing expert, very high level martial arts, individual, Kali, everything, this guy and BJJ. And he's developed a program, for example, called BJJ for the streets. And it's, it, 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 it's specifically geared for self-defense. So, you know, cause a lot of people actually, I, you know, I'm not as familiar with the BJJ world, but some people will say nowadays, oh, well, it's become too sport-based compared to mm-hmm. the traditional jujitsu, you know, Gracie jujitsu. But uh, for example, Bert Richardson has created uh, this BJJ for the street, which intrigues me greatly, but it's not, I don't think there's any like schools. He can certify instructors. So once again, you have to figure that out. Someone say, probably one of the best self-defense instructors I know because she also teaches self-defense is coach Kathy Long because she has a background in Kung Fu Sansu, uh, which is, you know, a traditional Southern Chinese martial arts system. I mean, Kung Fu Sansu also has a very interesting history, you know, but the fact of the matter is she's a world champion kickboxer who knows real fighting and then also knows these more self-defense based moves and how to teach, how to apply them for real. Right. Cause some of these people may learn it, never pressure tested or non-compliant trained it. So how can they teach you how to use it against somebody that's trying to take your head off? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, sometimes it's going to take some time. Sometimes you got to do your research. You got to figure out, uh, what's your true purpose for training. And, uh, at the end of the day, especially if it's not just for self-defense, you know, like what makes you happy? Maybe it's just you, you like the people you train with. Cool. But also don't develop any false ideas like, hey, I do Thai bow five times a week. I love it. And I can kick ass on the streets. With Yes. Uh, I mean, yeah. I had a follow-up joke there, but it just, it just wasn't coming out. That's all right. It happens. So any uh, closing notes? You can... You can be a good student from day one, but you can be a good student from maybe uh, 30, 40 years in. And at some point, it's going to click for you. Uh, at some point, a school will click for you. Uh, your classmates will click for you and your teacher will click. And when that happens, embrace it and just run with it because you're going to have a good ride. Uh, so that that's my final thought. I love it. That's great. And yeah, so we'll uh, be recording another episode soon. Uh, we haven't, oh, actually we do kind of have an idea of which one it is. Uh-huh. It's one that's been in the works for a few weeks now and uh, hopefully have some more guests soon. And yeah, 